God, as we come to your word this morning, too, just thankful uh, for your word. Thankful, Lord, that, um, that your word is food for us, Lord. It's, it's bread for the spiritual man. And, Lord, we come uh, just hungering to hear from you, asking, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would feed us, Lord, that you would strengthen us, Lord, that we would find hope and encouragement in your word this morning, and that your spirit would just bless this time. And so, God, we just give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Right on, so we're in John chapter 3, and um, John's gospel is, I, I'm really enjoying John's gospel, and John's gospel is, is different than any other gospel because it takes you so often into these one-on-one conversations that Jesus had with individuals. You get to like, you know, drop in on these situations and people's personal experiences with Jesus. And John chapter 2 closed, I'll just remind you, close with the account of Jesus cleansing the temple, sitting down in, in the temple courtyard, braiding together a, a whip, which he then used to drive out the money changers, to drive out those who were selling oxen and sheep and, and, and pigeons and doves. And Jesus, as he did that, declared this, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. Appreciated that Blake just prayed that for us this morning, that the temple of our lives would be cleared out, that the courtyard would get cleared out, that we get the house in order today as we're seeking the Lord. And so you come to the end of that story, and actually we'll pick it up in verse 23 of chapter 2, after the cleansing of the temple. And at the end of John chapter 2, we read this, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. You know, in other words, um, you know, many believed in Jesus when they saw the miracles, when they saw the signs that he was performing. But, but John tells us this, Jesus did not believe in them because he knew what was in their hearts. And the first illustration we're going to get is of this man, Nicodemus. Now we read here and we get this picture that the crowds are coming to Jesus. People are coming to faith in him. They are believing in him, but their faith is based on what they're seeing, not based on their hearing. It's interesting that the scripture tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They were putting their faith in Jesus on the basis of what they were seeing. The miracles, the signs, and the problem with faith that is built on sight is that it's not a deep faith, it's shallow it's really shallow. People were saying, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. And John tells us Jesus didn't believe in them. Which is, it's kind of brutal when you read that. Don't you think that? I'm like, wow, that's like harsh. And it's kind of, ask, it's right to ask why. And it was because their faith was based on what they had seen. Which is shallow. Shallow faith depends on sight. That's, that's the kind of faith that springs up quickly like the seed on the, on the pathway and then gets scorched by the sun and, and dries out. And true faith, the kind of faith that, that Jesus was looking for is something that has to get deep down inside of you. That's what our faith has to become. It has to be something that gets deep down rooted in our hearts and in our lives. The kind of faith that will transform your life, that will shape the direction of your life, that will shape everything with regards to your life. It's, it's, 
not just this outward conformity, this outward religious conformity, but it's got to result, true faith has to result in an inward transformation. I have to be changed on the inside by my faith in Jesus. And so Jesus didn't entrust himself to people until there was an inward change, not just this outward religious conformity. And we see here, we see all throughout the Gospels that Jesus knew the hearts of men. I mean, we go back to to that fun story that we saw in chapter one of Jesus looking at Peter and saying, oh, Peter, you're going to be Kepha. Or, or the story of Nathaniel that he said, I, I saw you while you were sitting under, under the fig tree. Jesus knows the hearts of men and, and we're going to be introduced to this man, Nicodemus. And it seems to me when you read this account of Nicodemus that he had a true searching heart. He had a heart after God. And he was digging deeper into Jesus and, and he was inquiring to see what it was about the life and ministry of Jesus that, that brought such power and, and, and authority. And I think that as Nicodemus looked at Jesus, he sensed something as he watched. He sensed already just as he watched with his eyes that there was something different about Jesus, different about his life different about his ministry, different about the influence that he was having upon people. And so we come to chapter three and what we're introduced is, is this personal encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. And, and throughout this part of the chapter that we're gonna look at, we're gonna see four pictures that Jesus uses to, to bring an understanding to what Nicodemus is looking for. And so let's check it out, verse one. It says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now here's Nicodemus. He's heard Jesus speak. He's seen the miracles that Jesus is performing. And he's thinking in his own heart and mind, I need what this guy's got. There's something different about this man. And the problem that Nicodemus had was the problem that every one of us, every man, every woman faces when they come to Jesus. It's, it's the greatest obstacle that stands in our way, and it's this, our own pride. And it's an interesting picture of Nicodemus that he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. We're told here that he was a Pharisee, so he's a, he's a select group of 6,000 religious leaders in the whole nation and amongst them, he's a ruler, which means he has to qualify for the Sanhedrin, which out of 6,000, he's in a, a, an inner core of 70. But to actually be called a ruler meant that he was one of three in the 70. And then, check this out, the scholars suggest this about Nicodemus, that he's actually called in this text the teacher of Israel. This guy is the foremost theologian in the nation of Israel. He is the teacher of the law. He's the one everyone wants to hear. He's the one everyone wants to come to. If it's like you're coming to the temple for Passover and there's a teacher that you're gonna go out of your way to hear, this is the guy to this point. It's Nicodemus. But Nicodemus sees in himself something that's missing and so he comes to Jesus. And he has questions. You know, It's interesting because people came to Nicodemus with questions about God. People came to Nicodemus with questions questions about the scripture, about life, about religion. And Nicodemus had knowledge, but what he saw in Jesus was the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Here's this man, you think about this. He's got all the theology right. He's got all the doctrines right. He's got all the practices right. But he knows nothing of the power of God that he sees present in the life of Jesus. And so he comes to him at night. At night, you know, I imagine his head was covered. He's taking back streets, traveling through the, the city of Jerusalem. So he couldn't be seen by anyone or that it be discovered that this teacher of Israel was already going to see the unpopular teacher who was causing a stir from Galilee. And you know, I, I, I think this about Nicodemus as you read this. He, he was a religious man. And when I say that about Nicodemus, I don't, I don't give that to him as a compliment. You know, for me, using the word religion or religious is never a compliment. <laughs> you need to catch that about me in my teaching if you haven't figured that out. I don't want to be a religious man. <laughs> I, I don't want us to be a religious church. That's, that's not a compliment to me. And when we look at Nicodemus, we see, see a man who practiced religion. And here was the religion that he practiced. He practiced the religion of good deeds, good works. That's the religion of most people in this world. That's the religion of most people in our country. That's the religion of most people in our nation. It might come, or, or sorry, in our community. It might come under, you know, the guise of some other heading. But the religion of most people is the religion of good works, good deeds. And that religion says this, it says, you know, try to do your best. You know, it says, be a good person. You know, help people, help people out, do good things. And, you know, because you have a heart for goodness, if your heart for good, because your heart's good and you want to be good and you want to be religious, then if your goodness just outweighs your bad, then at the end of the day, when all is said and done, you're going to come to heaven and God will be pleased with you. And that's like the religion of good deeds. That was, that was Nicodemus. And I might ask us this morning, are, are you sure that's not your religion? And there's a question that we can ask ourselves to get to the root of that in our own lives. To discover, to discover whether our religion is a religion of good works. The question's just as simple. Like if you died today, something happened, God forbid. But something happened today and you were to stand before God and he asked you this, why should I let you into my heaven? You stood before the maker of heaven and earth and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? What would you answer? How would you answer God and that, and that question? Well, Lord, I've, I've done my best. You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I have my faults. I, I try to be a good person. You know, I'm not, I'm not bad. I, hel I helped out this person in the snow, and I did this, Lord, and I give, you know, whatever examples. Look, I want to tell you this morning, if that's how you talk, then what you serve is a religion of good deeds. If that would be your answer to the Lord, then what you serve is a religion of good deeds. And that religion's not going to get you anywhere. That religion will not get you into heaven. It won't get you anywhere near heaven. It's not the gospel that Jesus preached or that the word of God declares to us. And Nicodemus is a great example for us of this. Nicodemus worked hard at religion. 
He worked hard at his religion. I'll tell you this. He worked harder than any of us here. I mean, you're good folks, but uh, Nicodemus has it on us. Okay? He's more educated than anyone here. He He worked hard at his religion, and he taught others to do the same. To do good deeds, to follow the law of God, to the the minutest of detail. He was a Pharisee. He spent the energy of his life doing good and seeking to do good. But the crazy thing is this about Nicodemus is that he doesn't seem to have, as you read this, any sense of assurance that he's any closer to God. He sees something in Jesus that he can't see in himself. He seems to me to have no sense of assurance that he is going to be received into the kingdom of God. And you know, when you talk about this religion of do good, that is a long, lonely road, I'll tell you that, that will lead to disappointment. You can't make it. That, that, that religion, that road will leave you constantly guessing. You will never know. You will never have assurance. You will never be sure that you're near to the Lord and that you've done good enough. Like, when have you done good enough? And Nicodemus could see the difference between himself and between Jesus. They're both Jews. They're both teachers. They believed in the same God. They held to the same scripture. What was the difference? And the amazing thing is is that before Nicodemus could ask the question, Jesus knew the heart of the man. Look at what he he answers before Nicodemus can even spit it out. Verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus, again, demonstrates here. He knows the heart of the man. He can answer Nicodemus before he even asks. And he says, I I know why you've come. I know Nicodemus. You're disappointed with yourself. You're disappointed with your religion. It's not what you had hoped for. It's not brought you the sense of closeness or nearness to God or the sense of being near to his kingdom. Your religion has not brought the power into your life that you've been looking for. Nicodemus, let me tell you the secret. You must be born again. Interesting picture Jesus uses to be born again. Uh, If you're here, you've been born once. You've experienced physical birth. The scripture tells us we've been knit together. We were knit together in our mother's womb. And when we, were, when we were born, it's interesting to think about being in a mother's womb, in the belly of your mom. You're, you're just like so close to the world around you, and yet it's just out of reach. And then you're born, and you're awakened to this, this whole new world. You come alive to this whole new world. You breathe for the first time air. <gasps> and your senses come alive, smell. 
You smell things that you haven't smelled before. You taste food and things that you'd never experienced or tasted before. There's this sense of touch. In hearing, you hear your mother's voice and your father's voice for the first time and these senses are awakened and your eyes, though blurry, begin to become clear and you see things for the first time. And as you grow and as you mature physically, you increasingly become aware of the world around you. You know, like I just remember when I was a kid, my world was my cul-de-sac and the bush around it. And like nothing else mattered. Man, I was building my fort and riding my bikes and playing with my friends. I wasn't on a phone. And uh, that was a slam against some younger folks in here. <laughs> and, you know, you were, your, your cul-de-sac or your street was your world. And then you mature and you say, wow, the world's so much bigger than I even knew. And then you, you get this global understanding or national understanding or identity. It's like as you mature, man, your senses and your understanding grows and you become increasingly aware of the world around you. And what Jesus is saying here is that the same is true spiritually. The very same thing is true spiritually, that there are people who believe that they actually believe that God isn't real. They actually believe the kingdom of God is like mythology and that it's not real. They don't sense his presence. They don't, they don't, they don't conceive that he would speak. They're like unborn children in a, in a womb that they don't know the reality of another world that is right at their fingertips, right right around them. And as followers of Jesus, as those who follow Jesus, we, we recognize this, that, that God is all around us. That he's working in everything. That he speaks. That, that he's real. That his presence is real. That what we sense this morning as we worship, it was real. It was reality. His presence Paul actually said this, in him we live and move and have our being. And there are those who are not aware of this reality because they've not been born again. So Nicodemus, Jesus tells him, Jesus tells him, just as you were born into this physical world, and that was your introduction into this world, so you need another birth, Nicodemus. You needed birth that's going to introduce you into this next world. If you're ever to see the kingdom of God, your eyes to become clearer, your ears to be open, these spiritual senses to, to be awakened, then it comes down to this, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Just as you've been born of human flesh, now, Nicodemus, you must be born of the Spirit. You know, it just makes me think of the world around us. And people that you know and you go, wow, how can they not see? That's why they can't see. They must be born again. And here's Nicodemus. He's a, a well-educated, religious, prominent leader in his nation. But he was spiritually blind. Couldn't see. He didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was, was speaking of the spiritual and Nicodemus thought he was only speaking of physical things. That's why he asked this question. Can I go into my mother's womb a second time? What are you talking about, Jesus? And this is often how it goes with people. 
And you talk to people uh, about your faith in Christ and you, maybe you begin to talk about being born again and it's interesting how where people will go with those conversations. Often they'll start to talk about, you know, their family's spiritual heritage. Well, I had a grandpa, he was a pastor and my, my parents took me to church when I was a kid and, you know, I was, I was christened in this church or I was baptized or I took my first communion here. People begin to recount spiritual heritage when you talk about being born again or they talk about whatever religious ceremony they've participated in or whatever they've done. But it's not about what we've done. It's about this experience of being born again. And so Jesus says to him in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Look, Jesus, that's an imperative for him. You must be born again. This is necessary if you're ever to see the kingdom of heaven. It has to happen without question. You, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless this happens. You must be born, Jesus says, of water and the Spirit. It's interesting, you know, you, you read that and you go, water? What's he talking about? But we have to read this in the context of this conversation with Nicodemus and the talking points of the nation of Israel. The big talking point at this time was, was John the Baptist. He'd been out preaching in the wilderness and baptizing people, and he was, he was preaching this message. Mankind is dirty. There's a Savior coming, and you have to get clean. Jew and Gentile alike. For the Jews, we saw this earlier in our study in John, this was the big hang-up for them with John's ministry. What? Jews don't get baptized. That's for Gentiles. They're dirty. And John was saying, no, we're all dirty. We all need to be baptized. We all need a clean start. You need to repent of your sins. You need to have your past washed away so that you can start all over again. And participating with John, John the Baptist, in the waters of baptism was an acknowledgement. Not that I was dirty on the outside. It was an acknowledgement. I'm dirty on the inside. I want God to change my heart. The thoughts, the attitudes, the desires. It's saying, God, on the inside, I, I'm a lawbreaker. I, I, I break your word in my heart. I'm dirty. I need to be cleansed in preparation for you to come. And so Jesus says the same message to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you have to be born of the water. Born of the water. He's not saying there's something magical about baptism, okay? We, like, believe in baptism. It's like we practice baptism as a church. Like, if you've come to faith in Jesus, I would tell you, you need to be baptized. It is the wedding ring on your relationship with Jesus. It's an outward declaration of an inward reality. When we go into the waters of baptism, we identify our lives with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we make a public declaration. I'm a follower of Jesus. Look, if you haven't been baptized, you should get baptized. You should come and talk to me. We'll, we'll plan it. We'll go into some cold ocean waters with you, and we can go do that. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I would encourage you to. 
This isn't, Jesus isn't saying there's something magical about baptism when he says you must be born of the water. It's about the heart of the man Nicodemus. It's about the heart of understanding what John's baptism represented. It's an acknowledgement. I'm dirty on the inside. There's filth in my heart, Lord. There's sin present in me and I want to be and I need to be washed clean. I need to make a clean start with you, God. I need a fresh start and I need you to wash me of my sin. I need to be washed of my bad deeds. I even need to be washed of trusting in my own good deeds. I need that all cleansed away. And we call that repentance. That's what we call it. To acknowledge your need to turn away from the things that you've been trusting or putting your hope in, turning from the past and turning towards something new. That's why repentance is always twofold. Repentance is not just turning from something here and then turning around right back to it. Repentance is turning from what you've trusted in and turning in faith completely to something else. Something else is going to be the source, which I trust. And so we acknowledge sin. Lord, I repent of sin. And I turn from it, and I turn in faith towards something entirely new. Lord, I turn towards you. I turn the direction of my life to you, Jesus. I turn from sin, and I turn towards trusting in Jesus and trusting the Spirit of God to make new life in me. And so, you know, I would tell you this is, is not a text about the necessity of water baptism, though I believe in the necessity of water baptism. As a church, we believe in the necessity of water baptism. This is a text about acknowledging and turning from sin and turning towards Jesus and that new life which His Spirit provides. And when we're born again, when we're born again, when this happens, I'm awoken to a whole new reality. I see new things. I hear new things. <laughs> I begin to taste new things. It's interesting that the word of God tells us, taste and see. Begin to feel new things. Begin to sense new things. I become aware of things that I wasn't aware of before. And I imagine, you know, as Nicodemus heard Jesus speaking to him and what Jesus was declaring to him, it wasn't so much as you read this, I think that he was confused, but that he was kind of bewildered. And, you know, he, he thought about it. He thought, well, I'm, I'm a Jew. Man. I'm like part of God's covenant people. Uh, my birth is like better than most people in the world. You know, in terms of birthrights, like I'm there. I'm not a Gentile. I'm not a Samaritan. I, I'm counted amongst God's chosen people. And amongst God's people, like, my life is exemplary. I'm a Pharisee. I am a ruler, the ruler of the people. Like, Jesus wasn't speaking to a Gentile or a Roman. No, the, the, like I said, the original language actually expresses the idea that Nicodemus was the teacher of the people. He was the foremost. And he could understand, yeah, I get Gentile, a Roman, I get it. They need to do that. But the Jews, like we're God's people. And as they spoke, I just imagine this as you're reading this, it's like as they spoke, and it's in the evening, 
the wind began to blow. And, you know, in one of those hot Jerusalem days, that cool of the breeze in the evening was just like beautiful on their faces as they're having this conversation. They heard the trees, the palm leaves begin to rustle. Felt it on their skin, the cool of the day. And it's interesting, Jesus takes it right away. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. I, I just see them talking. It's like so awesome. Feel it. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? The word wind in the scripture, like in the original language, is actually in both Hebrew and Greek, the word wind is interchangeable with the word spirit. In Hebrew, the word is ruach. It means wind or spirit. In Greek, it's pneuma, which means wind or spirit. So it's interesting that this wind blows and Jesus begins to talk about the things of the spirit. Begins to make this application for him. Wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Nicodemus asked. To me, this question is this, it's this heart where he's like, what? Lord, like, isn't there a method? Like, give me the arithmetic. Isn't there like some sort of principles? Like, do, 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 do. Like, show me how this works. Show me the method for fulfillment, this born again thing. Nicodemus, I think, desired to participate in what Jesus was talking about. It's not that he's unwilling. He asked this question. It's more like he asked this. If you were to paraphrase this, it's like he's saying, how can I experience this new birth? When he says, how can these things be? How, he might be saying, how can I experience these new, this, this new birth? I, I don't understand. I'm kind of bewildered, Jesus. And it's interesting, when you talk about being born again, it's kind of this mysterious thing, isn't it? It's like, it's a necessity, but it's also a mystery. Everyone born of the Spirit, Jesus says, is like the wind. It's like, if you know Jesus, that's interesting, that he says you're like the wind, like the working of the Spirit. You can't explain or predict the wind, and you cannot explain or predict the child of God. Did you know that? You cannot explain or predict the child of God. God's children do weird things, man. <laughs> I know some of you guys. <laughs> you know, I spoke to someone this week, and uh, we were yapping. We have some history that goes way back, and we were talking about some different things. And, and um, everything I know about their life tells me that they have, like, the right to be angry, that they have the right to be bitter, in fact, legally in our nation, they have like rights and things that they could do to like defend their cause and in th their case. I mean, in their human nature, clinging to unforgiveness would be like normal. That's what you would expect. That's a human being. That's what should happen. They should be really mad. They should be really angry. They should have a strong sense of injustice. They should be ripping ticked about what happened to them and they should be off for revenge. It would be their right. Like in the flesh, it would be their right. But this person's born of the Spirit, so they're unpredictable. <laughs> so what do they do? What do they do? I said, well, I decided I was going to take legal action. And they told me, 
Then the Lord spoke to me. Lord told me, I'll look after it. You belong to me. You surrender to me. You put me first in your life. I'll look after you. I'll look after this situation. I said, wow, really? Yeah, that's what happened. Guess what I did? I tore up the paperwork that I began to start filling out. The Lord had spoken to them. They weren't going to take the actions that were rightfully theirs. They were going to surrender to God's will and to His purpose. They're going to choose to trust Him and to follow His leading. And the Lord told them, I'll look after you. You can't predict that, man. That's weird. Like really, seriously, come on. When we're talking about human nature, that's not normal, right? We know that. In humanity, in the human heart, that is not a normal reaction to wrongdoing and injustice in your life. That's a work of the Spirit. That's like the wind that you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's unexplainable. God's Spirit had led that person. And I would tell you, the children of God are unpredictable. Kind of cool, eh? You like geek you out. I'm unpredictable. Dangerous. You know, I think that the world around us is often astounded about that church. They look at the church and they go, oh yeah, we've got these Christians figured out. Haters. Whatever they think. Oh, they do this and they do this and this is their attitude. But the leading of the Spirit is like the blowing of the wind. It's mysterious and it's unpredictable. I just think in my life, and I know it's true in your life, I think I like catch people off guard all the time. They're like, what? As a pastor, what you what whatever it is, right? Wind is unpredictable, unpredictable. And here's Nicodemus. He's he's still in the dark. He's come by night to Jesus. He could not grasp. He was bewildered by this this new birth. But the wind was blowing, and Jesus says to him in verse ten. Jesus answered, "Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things?" Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. To me, it's strange. Jesus is like speaking in plural like this. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's interesting that as God's children, we get insight into heavenly things. Fun this week at the men's conference, got to, got to connect with, like, really, really cool to go join those guys at Calgary because a good chunk of them have come to Israel with us over the years. I've spoken at their church a handful of times. This is the second time I got to be a speaker at their men's retreat. And so, like, I knew, like, 75% for sure of the guys, personally. And um, I have this uh, one friend, a guy, we, we kind of connect. And so... Uh, he's moved across the city, and he's now attending another church. But he heard I was coming, so he decided to come to the conference. And so we were hanging out the whole time. And he said to me, he said, uh, I had a dream. Can I tell you my dream? And I'm like, yeah. So he, like, tells me this dream. And he's like, what do you think that means? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> he goes, do you remember I told you I had a dream two years ago? I said, oh, yeah, Right. Tell me that dream. He tells me that dream. He goes, what do you think that means? I said, I don't know. 
But then I remembered, as we were sitting there talking, I remembered that Pastor Joel had told me that there was a man in their church God had given the gift of interpreting dreams. So I said, hey, come on over here. Sit down. I said, can you tell your dreams to this man right here? Tell, tell these dreams. So he tells the first dream. He tells the second dream. And then he says, oh, you know, I actually remember there's another dream from my days in college, and it stuck with me. It's like three times I've had these different dreams from the Lord. All very, very different dreams. He tells the third dream. What do you think that means? I, I'm just sitting there. I have no idea. I'm like, I'm clued out, man. Like most of my life, I'm just, you know, floating. <laughs> and uh, he says to this man, what do you think that means? And he says, do you really want to know? <laughs> I'm like, what? Come on. No fair. What, what does that mean? Do you really want to know? He said. He said, yes, I want to know. And in one sentence, he explained all three dreams. They were one dream. The Lord had been given. God's, the Lord's been speaking to this guy for many years regarding something. And it was so, it was so beautiful. I'm like, he had the privilege because he's been born again to experience heavenly things. That's what that illustration's for, the experience of heavenly things. Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, I've used for you earthly illustrations. Look, you know what? God can't use dreams and visions for you if you're not born again. That's what I want to tell you. He says, I've used earthly illustrations and you cannot understand. If I begin to share with you deep spiritual truths, heavenly truths, you won't believe. You know, Nicodemus knows the facts recorded of Scripture. This guy knows the Word of God inside and out. Remember, he's the teacher of Israel. He knows. His head is like swollen with information. Nicodemus understood the, the Torah, the Old Testament. He, you know, when Jesus began to speak to him and began to talk about being born again and using metaphors like the wind, Nicodemus should have got it. You know, you, you look at the Old Testament, one of the great pictures we see of exactly what Jesus is speaking about is Ezekiel 37. If you're not familiar with that passage, go home today and read Ezekiel 37. I'm not going to read it right now. But it's the Valley of Dry Bones where Ezekiel has this vision, he sees dry bones, and what comes and brings life to the bones? The wind. The wind. It should have registered for Nicodemus. He should have connected Ezekiel 37 and the dry bones and the wind that brought life and breath to those bones. But Nicodemus, here was Nicodemus. He was ever, ever learning, but never seeing, never perceiving. He was moral. He was religious. He did good, but what Nicodemus needed was the life of the Spirit. And it's interesting, Jesus speaks in the plural there. Like I said in verse, verse 11, he, you know, I'm going to read it again here. Let me go back. But you do not receive our testimony. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 11, we speak of what we no, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. What's Jesus speaking of? What's that plural? The wind, the ruach, the pneuma, the spirit. The spirit 
and Jesus were testifying together. The word of God is part of that plural. The word of God was testifying to the very things Jesus was saying. These three, Jesus, the Spirit, and the Word, they were in agreement. How can these things be? He asked. So Jesus took him for a little lesson in the scripture. The teacher would be schooled by the teacher. Verse 14. Jesus pulls out an Old Testament picture for him. As Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The account of the serpent on the pole is told in Numbers chapter 21. Again, if you don't know that story, you should go home today and read Numbers chapter 21. It's just, it's cool. Um, and maybe you're familiar with it. Nicodemus definitely knew the story. He knew Numbers chapter 21. It's a story of sin. It's a story of judgment. It's a story of God's grace and people responding to God in faith. Let me tell it really quick. The people are wandering in the wilderness. They've come out of, they've experienced the exodus. They've come out of the land of Egypt and they're in the in-between time, that wilderness wandering, waiting to come into the promised land. And during that time, they began to rebel against the Lord. And so the Lord sent judgment upon them. And here's what God did. It's crazy, but it's what he did. He sent what the scripture calls fiery serpents into their midst. Snakes. I hate snakes. Ugh. And the snakes came into the camp and these snakes began to bite people and the venom, that poison, was taking their lives. And so this plague was happening. Snakes, bites, death. And so Moses began to intercede to the Lord and he began to pray for the children of Israel that God would provide a remedy, that God would rescue his people, that God would bring redemption for this situation. For the serpent, from the, save them from the serpent's deadly bite. And so the Lord told Moses, go and make a brass serpent. Form and mold and shape this serpent out of brass. And then I want you to set that serpent on a pole and set the pole up high in the middle of the camp so that anyone can see it from wherever they are. And then the deal is this. If a serpent bites someone... All they have to do is this. They can look up and look to this pole, this serpent on the pole, and if they look, they will live. If they will look, they will be healed. If they look, they will be spared from death. And so God provides a remedy, and the people looked. They had to look in faith, and they were saved from death. And it's interesting that the destiny of every individual who was bitten... Every individual who was bitten, their destiny was determined by whether they would look to God's remedy. Would they look and live? And Jesus was telling Nicodemus that new birth, that, that the reality of being born again was the direct result of faith in his death and resurrection. Look at verse 16. We're going to circle back to the story in a second. Verse 16, we know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Just like the serpent was lifted up on the pole, so the Son of God would be lifted up on the cross. Why? (laughs) Well, Jesus says, to save us. To save the world from sin and death. That while we're in the wilderness wanderings of this earth, there's death in the camp. There's death in the camp. And the solution to the serpent's bite is to look and to live. To look to Jesus. You know, you think about it, you think about it, to me, if there's snakes in the camp, serpents in the camp, you would think that the solution is this, kill the snakes. When you think, that's what I would do. Or I'd just run. Kill, kill the snakes. But the answer was this. The answer was actually not to kill the snakes. The answer was to look to God's provision and to live. The whole world's been bitten. The whole world's been bitten by that serpent. The scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. You know, the serpent in this story in Numbers 21 is made of brass. Brass in the scripture is a picture of God's judgment. And Christ was lifted up. Jesus was lifted up on the cross and he was judged. God's judgment was upon him. He was judged for the sins of the world. Jesus sent his son into the world to die for sin. It's interesting, you know, you say, well, how can a person be born again? This is Nicodemus. How can they be saved from death? And Jesus is telling him, the answer is looking to me. The answer is looking to Jesus. By faith to him, in in faith looking and believing in his provision. It's interesting, you know, we talk about how close you can be to life and to this other world. This spiritual reality that's all around us, the kingdom of God, you can be so close, so close between the reality of that and just the reality of this earthly world and, and the difference is this, just looking to Jesus. You look to Jesus and man, a whole new reality awakens to you. Looking to Jesus is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between living and perishing. It's the difference between darkness and light. It's the difference between Blindness and seeing in reality. Between condemnation and salvation, it's Jesus, looking to Jesus. And you know, Jesus could have come into the world, you know, he could have just, like the solution could have been kill the snakes in the camp and Jesus could have come into the world and, and just drop judgment on the world. But John chapter 3 verse 16 tells us it was the Father's will to to come and love and to save. To save. And Jesus became that uplifted serpent. He fulfilled that picture. He came into the world as a savior and he gave his life on the cross. 
And in Moses' day, a look to that serpent brought physical life and spared you from physical death. And a look to Jesus brings spiritual life and will save you from spiritual death. You know, when I think about it, I'm like, I don't get it. I'm like, I, how does looking to a serpent on a pole result in your healing? Figure that out. That makes no sense. Look at a serpent on a pole and I'll live? Don't I need to like suck out the poison or something like that? Like, what's, what's the deal here? And I got to tell you, I, I'm really limited in my understanding with regards to how this works, that when a man looks to the cross, when a woman looks to the cross and looks at Jesus, they are saved. Explain that. Explain that. That when a man or a woman looks to the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, they are saved from sin. I don't know how it works, but I'll tell you this. I know it works. It works. You look to Jesus... And you'll be born again. You, you can't explain it any more than you can explain the wind. Don't know where it com comes from. Don't know where it's going. But, but it's the way God has chosen to save us, the cross. And it's interesting that, like I said, God didn't take the snakes away. He left the snakes there. And, and the, the snakes told the people, I need to look. I better look. Because there are snakes all around me. And if I don't look, I'm not going to live. These snakes are going to destroy me. And in the same way, you know, God does not just forgive everyone their sin. I just, I hate, if that's an idol in your life, I tell you, it needs to be smashed. God does not just forgive everyone their sin. He says this, there's snakes in your midst. And I will provide you the opportunity to look to me and live. But you gotta look. You gotta look. You gotta realize that sin is going to lead to your death and then you look to my son and you live. Let's look at verse 19. We'll wrap it up real quick here. Jesus said to Nicodemus, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is, I would say, an important set of verses for understanding the world and sin. You know, I, 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 I remember I was hanging out with some guys. We were in Vancouver and um, good guys. We, we had some different theological leanings. Let's put it that way. And we were having a discussion and the discussion was this. Why wouldn't everyone just look and live? Why wouldn't they look and live? And the Holy Spirit pricked my heart and, and reminded me of this verse. Why doesn't the world just look and live? Why not? Why will sinners not just come into the light? Well, Jesus says, it's because they love darkness. They love it. They love it. <laughs> they love the bite of the serpent. 
They love his venom. They love it. They, they desire to continue in darkness. They, they love evil. They, they love darkness over light. And that love for darkness keeps them from coming into the light. Re remember, the action of repentance is twofold. It involves turning from sin and turning in faith to Jesus. And I'll tell you this, sinners mask their love for darkness with lots of excuses. It always comes down to a love of darkness, friends. Always. <laughs> what appears to be moral arguments, appears to be spiritual arguments, it appears to be scientific arguments, it appears to be intellectual arguments or problems or whatever it is, it always comes down to one thing. They love darkness. And they're afraid that if they come into the light, their darkness will be exposed. And it's the truth. If you come into the light of Jesus, your darkness will be exposed. I mean, Calgary last weekend, it's like crazy. You know what the... The con they, they, they gave the themes of the conference. They had a team of men and they like gave me assigned teachings. Like the men discussed amongst themselves, hey, what do we need to hear? And so they picked the theme of their conference. Here was the theme of their conference. <laughs> it's funny to me. Their conference was called It's Okay to Be a Man. And the topics they gave me were this. Number one, I love you, man. Number two, brothers in arms. And number three, today's man. And so we talked about manhood, about cultural pressures, about things that are going on in this world and what God calls us to. What it looks like for two men to biblically love one another like Jonathan and David, who were in covenant, who were true men, who served God and loved God. And we, we talked about what it meant to fight together spiritually. We talked about what it meant to be the temple of God. And you know what's amazing? It's amazing the darkness that came out into the light. It's like men said stuff that they wouldn't say, that they didn't have the freedom to say when they were in darkness. Because why? Jesus brings the darkness out into the light. They didn't have to fear. Because we were all going in the same direction. We had made a decision. We're turning from sin and we're turning in faith to Jesus. It can, can come out. It can be on the table. It can be discussed. We can walk through it. God can heal it. We're going to look to Jesus. We're going to look to Jesus. You know, I want to tell you that, that there may be here, those here this morning, I'm going to wrap up real fast here. Sorry, I'm been a little long. There, there may be those here who love darkness. There may be those here who have not come to Jesus simply because they're afraid about what will come into the light. I want to tell you that that is deception. Listen to me. It's deception. The serpent's bite will take your life. It will cost you everything. It will end in your death. Coming into the light in Jesus is a beautiful thing. I want to tell you the scripture tells us that in his presence there is fullness of joy the scripture says, at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. People think sin is pleasure. They don't know what pleasure is. They don't know what pleasure is. 
Pleasures are found at the right hand of the Savior. In his presence, there is joy. You know, as you read this story curiously, John doesn't tell us anything about what Nicodemus decided that day. We don't know. Like we read this, and if the story ends right here, we don't know what decision Nicodemus made regarding Jesus. And, and, and I think John writes that way because the appeal is directed to you and I as we read his gospel. It's like, will you benefit and will you prosper from the directions that were given to Nicodemus? Will you be born again? Will you be born again? And so church, I want to leave you with just a few applications. Here they are. Love the light. Love light. Love light. Number two, look to Jesus. Always looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Number three, man, be like the wind. Be led of the Spirit. Be led of the Spirit, man. Be unpredictable. And number four, if you don't know Jesus, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. You guys bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up here. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for the reality of your kingdom, that it is real, Lord. It is real. We thank you, Lord, that as we sang, you are life and love. You are light, God. You brought light to this dark man. You brought light to these folks out here. Jesus is found in you. And it was because we looked to you. We just looked. You did all the work. All we did was look. Lord, this morning in our hearts, we reject our good works, Lord. We just declare to you, we reject our efforts. We reject our good deeds, Lord. We repent of our bad deeds. Jesus, would you forgive us? Jesus, would you forgive us of sin? We repent of the darkness in our lives, Lord. We repent of loving darkness. God, would you change our hearts? For our hearts to be changed, Lord, we need to be born again. We need to be born of the Spirit. Lord Jesus, as your people, we respond to you this morning. We turn away from sin, Lord. We repent. We call it what it is, Lord. It's wrong. It was breaking your word, Lord. It was breaking your law. It was breaking your instruction. It was breaking your commandments. God, forgive us. Jesus, this morning in faith, we turn. We look to you, the Son of Man lifted up on the cross. Forgive us, Lord. In faith, Jesus, save us, we pray. Lord, may we be born again and may we be filled and led by your Holy Spirit. By your Holy Spirit. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.